So, how are you feeling about 2020? I'm ready to send it packing. I mean, not only is it like the year that literally changed the world, I mean, the year that made the whole world stop. I mean, I never thought we'd see commerce stop, but the whole world came to a stop. Not only did all of this happen in 2020, but it was also the year of the census in the United States. Did you all all fill out your census data? I mean, the government uses that to sort of kind of get a, a feel for where all the people are. And, of course, it, it affects sort of our governance, and then it also affects how they allocate things around the country. And we might think that this is something brilliant that we came up with, but the truth is governments have been doing this for thousands and thousands of years because they want to know who's out there and how to tax them. That's really what it's about. It's about understanding who's out there and figuring out how we can best tax this group of people to pay for the government. And that's what happened to Mary and Joseph. The governance, the governor decided that we needed to have a census. And as a result, they had to go to Bethlehem. Governments have been doing this for thousands of years, and I guarantee you they'll be doing it for thousands of more years. So this week we're going to turn to the Gospel of Luke. We've been looking at Christmas through the eyes of Joseph, and frankly we sort of exhausted Scripture about Joseph. And now we're going to take a look at the journey that they're taking, the journey that they're going. So, and I'll go over this someday in more detail, but um, Mark is believed by scholars to be the gospel that was written first. And then Matthew and Luke kind of were written about the same time, but in different locations. And scholars will tell you that they believe that they had a copy of Mark in their lap. And there's also a speculative source called Q that was also something that both Matthew and Luke had access to. When you look at Matthew and Luke, sometimes they have stories that are exactly the same, but they don't show up in Mark and they don't show up in John. And so that's sort of how scholars have come to this speculative Q source. So Matthew and Luke sort of follow the general outline of Mark, but of course they add the birth to it, and then they have some contents that's unique to their own. So Matthew and Luke were written about the same time by different folks in different places to different audiences for different reasons. So we're turning now to the Gospel of Luke. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. 
Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. So we read that Quirinius was the governor of Syria. Now, you need to know that, that scholars use things in the Bible to try to date things. There's a, a, a historian named Josephus who wrote a whole lot, and he is a, a primary source for people to compare things that are happening in Scripture uh, to what was happening in, in the world at the time. And, and what scholars will tell you is that Quirinius did not become governor in Syria till about 6 A.D., so there's a little timing issue there. Some scholars think that Luke just made an error. Um, maybe it was a, a misremembrance on Luke's part because the Bible, I mean, the Scripture, the Gospel was written 30 or so years after Jesus' death. So you just need to know that that's sort of in dispute. But you know what? We talked about this last week. It doesn't affect your salvation as, as to how that all happened. So what we know is that Mary and Joseph were forced by the government to move from where they were in Nazareth to go to Bethlehem to be registered. So, um, you know, I think that Mary and Joseph probably had a plan there. Oh, we're going to be in Nazareth and we'll have the baby there. And then the government said, no, no, you have to do something else. You need to go and take this journey. Now, some scholars will tell you only Joseph had to go. Um, some scholars will tell you that you had to take your whole family. It's not exactly clear. So, I mean, you got to wonder, what was Joseph thinking, taking Mary on this about seven to nine day journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem? I mean, she was very pregnant at this stage. So, um, and we always have this image of her sitting on a donkey. Um, that's not mentioned in Scripture. I mean, she probably did a lot of walking, too. But, you know, I, I think about that, and I'm like, I mean, who would take their eight-month pregnant wife on a trip like that? What, what the heck was Joseph thinking? I don't know. Maybe it was something like, well, God told me that the Savior of the world is inside of her. Maybe I ought to keep an eye on her. Because <laughs> you have to remember that, that the Jewish people were an occupied people. The Romans were not there because the Jewish people wanted them there. The Romans were there as conquerors. And so you had this occupied territory of where the holy lands are those were occupied by the romans and they didn't like it and so a lot of times around these census when they happened there was unrest because why well the roman government is taxing us and occupied people so, so maybe joseph also wanted to keep her safe keep her nearby or, or perhaps they were just so in love, the idea of a month-long separation when she was about to have a baby was just too much for them. We don't really know why Mary came along. 
Maybe God planted the seed in Joseph's head. Because it was important that Jesus be born in Bethlehem because there was some prophecy that talked about that. But you know what I see in this? I see in this God's providence. God's providence. I mean, how many of you in your life can look back and think of maybe a decision that you made that maybe wasn't really the right thing to do, but you did it anyway? And then God made something good come from it? Any of you had that experience? I can tell you, I have had that experience happen to me over and over and over again in my life. My wife and I call them the fingerprints of God. When you sit here and you look back and you can see where God has made something move in the past that became good. I mean, God is capable of taking anything that happens to us even that others do to us and make good things come from it. Now understand, I'm not talking about God taking this bad thing that happened to us and making it good. Those bad things remain bad things. But God can make good things come from them. Give you an example. I, I once was in a business and it was a struggle. It was, it was so hard. Our family, we lost money in it. My wife and I were both involved with it and it was just so hard. But because we were there, because we were in contact with the employees that we worked with, Two people's lives were changed. They went in a different direction because of some influence that we had on their lives. It was a struggle for us. It was a hard thing for us. And yet, God did something good with it. I mean... My first college choice was Washington and Lee University in Virginia. I got waitlisted. Did I even made the waitlist? Was something of a miracle. So my second choice was Southern Methodist University, and that's where I went. And my father will tell you I had too much fun. But also, what happened? I met the love of my life. I mean, had I gone to Washington Lee, would I have ever even met her? I don't know. But I know because I went to SMU, I met the love of my life. That's God's providence. That's God at work as we do things. Even as we make mistakes, even as we do things that God, we know God doesn't want us to do, God can still make good things come from them. And then sometimes things get done to us by others. And yet, 
God can still make good things come from it. Sometimes the brokenness of the world affects our lives, comes crashing down. I had a young couple that I married in Dallas, and they had their first child, and everything was great. They were pregnant very quickly after their first child with a second. Everything was fine until the birth. And there was a placental abruption, and the baby bled to death inside her. Still gets me today. And the, the doctors brought the baby back for a little while, kept it on life support. And I watched as other mothers who had lost their children flew to her side. And they told her, this is the deepest, darkest hole you've ever seen. But I swear there's light. There is light at the end of this journey. It's going to take time. Two years later, as I was about ready to leave Lover's Lane, something else like that happened to someone else. The woman I told you about was the first one to go to her side and say, I know where you are, but there's a place where there's light and it will take time. That's the providence of God. God's ability to take bad things that happen and make good things come from them. That's what I see in this journey to Bethlehem. So Mary and Joseph are in Nazareth. We're good. And the government says, oh, nope, 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 nope. Everybody has to go to their hometown to get registered. Mary and Joseph, they're getting done too. They're being forced to do something. This happens to all of us. We all sometimes have these journeys forced on us. Sometimes they're physical journeys, like what Mary and Joseph experience. Sometimes they're just sort of experiential journeys. Sometimes it's a little bit of both. When I first understood that God was calling me to the ministry, there was not a lot of happy dances happen. It was scary. I literally was going to have to sell my house, uproot my family, move to Dallas, find a job where I can also be a full-time graduate student not excited I was scared but my wife and I we trusted God 
trusted that God would take care of us. Journeys happen. Look, sometimes God calls us, invites us to journeys, like my calling. That was a journey that my family and I said yes to. So there are these journeys that God invites us to. But then there are these journeys that just happen. They happen because somebody does something to us. Or they happen because the world is a broken place. I mean, these journeys can look like a sudden illness. They can look like COVID. I mean, look, that's a journey that the whole world has been forced to take, right? So these journeys sometimes just come along to us. But let me be real clear. God invites us on journeys. And then there are journeys that happen to us. God does not make us have cancer to teach us something. God does not make loved ones get cancer or have a car wreck to teach us something. Those things happen because the world is a broken place. But here's what I've learned about journeys. In my 58 years, I've been on a bunch. Your attitude matters. We can't control the things that happen to us in our life, but we can control how we respond. We can respond with grace and trust, or we can respond with anger and distrust. And look, the truth of it is, when these things happen to us, we're going to have a reaction. We're going to have some initial thoughts that might not be particularly godly. They might not be particularly faithful. Right when I graduated from seminary, I was six months into my new appointment, and my dad got a diagnosis of pancreatic cancer. Fortunately, they caught it very, very early, and he's doing very well even today. But you know what my reaction was? Really? I mean, I do all of this. I uproot my family, and I move them all across Texas. I go to seminary. I lose my really good-paying job, and now they're not paying me squat, and this is what you do to me? That was my reaction. And it's okay to have those reactions. When some scary journey comes your way, it's okay to have a little pity party. But you can't get stuck in the pity party. Because there's a level at which we have to accept what is happening to us. 
Sometimes we can maybe change ourselves and help change the outcome. But there are also times when we're just being done to, like Mary and Joseph. Your attitude, your acceptance of this is in fact what is happening, is important. But also trusting in God is oh so important. We have a God that loves us enough to have become one of us. Our God laughs with us. Our God cries when we cry. God celebrates when we celebrate. And no matter what journey you are on, by invitation, or because it's happening because of the brokenness of the world, the good news is God is walking with you. Every step you take on whatever journey it is that you are on, God is right there with you, walking with you, crying with you, celebrating with you. God is there. God is walking with you right now. Now, Sometimes I get it. He can seem far away. It can seem like he's maybe not there. But open your eyes. Could be God's in a nurse or a doctor. Or somebody else that's walking on your journey with you. We have a God that loves us so much that he walks with us on every journey we take. That's some good news, people. To have a God that loves you enough to walk with you. Whether he's asked you to take the journey or it's just happened to you. God is with you. God is walking with you through whatever it is that you are going through. Just open your eyes. Take a look. I promise you God is there. Let us pray. Gracious and almighty God, that you love us is amazing to us. We are so grateful for that love. We are so grateful that you would walk with us on whatever journeys come our way. We know that you are with us and we look so forward to celebrating the birth of our Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.